and all our surveys will 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 speak to to the point that the healthcare workers continue to be the most trusted source of information in our communities. So when the when the people at the call face don't believe that the vaccination is appropriate or they don't know enough about the vaccine or they have their own questions that need to be answered first, we said let's go back to the basics and let's let's build this program. Hello and welcome to Season 3 of Contain This. I'm Stephanie Williams, Australia's Ambassador for Regional Health Security. I'd like to start by acknowledging the traditional owners and custodians of country throughout Australia and the Indo-Pacific region. We recognise continuing connection to land, waters and community and pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging. In today's episode, I speak to Mr Api Kussman, the Executive Director of the National Vaccine Task Force in Papua New Guinea. In his current role, he leads on vaccine supply, access and uptake, with a particular focus on the COVID vaccine deployment program. Mr. Kassman describes the complexities of what was the first adult-targeted vaccine program in PNG, complexities from initial vaccine hesitancy to the importance of equipping local healthcare workers with information and support, those healthcare workers who are at the coalface of the rollout. Mr. Kassman articulates the importance of creating fit-for-purpose training of Papua New Guinea's healthcare workers and culturally appropriate interventions in an already overstretched healthcare system. We hope you enjoy the conversation. Api, thanks so much for joining me today. I wonder if you could just start by telling us a bit about yourself and what you did before taking on the role of Executive Director for the Vaccine Task Force. Over to you. Thank you very much, Stephanie, and uh, it's it's fantastic to be a part of your podcast for for today. Um, You know, when I was first uh, headhunted to to join the team from the Minister's office, uh, there was supposed to be a ministerial committee for the COVID-19 response generally. Um, and obviously, so this is high level approved at, you know, our National Executive Council, where, you know, five key ministers were put together to really drive this COVID response at that level. So that was that was the thinking, and I was uh, going to be a, a key, comp- key part of that in the communications area, but working really closely with the Minister for Health, who chaired that ministerial committee. When we were in the genesis of of, of this steering committee, um, we we basically had the first uh, you know our first infection COVID infection, and we shifted quickly into an SOE sort of format, and we came underneath a controller of a state of emergency. So the thinking shifted from a high level ministerial committee towards functioning under a state of emergency and, and through a state of emergency, uh, the prime minister heads that as he would have in the, in the ministerial committee. Uh, and we, we basically brought all the bureaucracy under one, one response element, which was the national operations center at the time. Uh, and I was part of this whole NOC process with the minister involved. So we, we basically morphed we were morphing on the run, and it's really synonymous with what's happened in COVID. We were learning daily about what we needed to do. So, you know, we're talking about March 2019, and that's the first infection in, in Papua New Guinea. And this was obviously pre any sort of vaccination that was available to the people. 
fast forward to where I am now, we, you know, we've introduced the vaccine and the minister said that, uh, you know, we can't be expecting our normal routine immunization to take on, you know, the intricacies of COVID vaccination, where we're already, you know, having challenges in that routine immunization space. He wanted a group that was specifically targeting COVID-19 vaccination. And when we first came into office, team, we we were sitting at, you know, we were struggling to get 2,000 uh, people vaccinated at that time. And, and our numbers were just sitting there. And so there needed to be an intervention uh, and and so I sort of went from the steering committee to the to the sorry the ministerial committee to the national operations center and then I was pushed into the vaccination team. So I've been part of the total response, uh, you know, basically since day one of the um, the the you know the high level operation. Uh, but you know, suffice to say, in the department, the 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 response had had kicked off way before you know this format so that's i hope i answered your question there that's how i've ended up in this role as the executive director of the vaccine task force now that's really clear and and especially to outline your involvement in the, since the very early days in march 2020 of the COVID infections in png so when you became the executive director of the national vaccine task force and you just said that the there was a need to separate the planning and organisation from routine immunisation. How did you go about organising yourself? Um, and what were the kind of first few steps that you had to take um, in delivering against the objective, which was presumably to maximise vaccine coverage in PNG with COVID vaccines? Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's a really good and key question. The reasons why uh, I think were, was were explained earlier, but the, in terms of objectives, you know, certainly early on in the in the piece, we were our, our terms of reference were around, you know, basically jumping in and making sure that there's a you know we we drive demand generation. There's an uptake on vaccination, uh, and and ensuring that the vaccination is obviously equitable around the country um, where there is a demand. It's our responsibility to ensure that we meet that demand with sufficient vaccine supply, ensuring that, you know, whatever culture and requirements, a, a snapshot on whatever the, the culture and requirements were, doing a quick rapid assessment on where we were and our ability to, and, and obviously our readiness to carry out this vaccine deployment program. So basically the A, Bs and Cs of a normal routine program. Um, but, you know, when we came into play, what we were staring down the barrel of was already fast declining um, routine immunization levels and, and they continued to decline. Um, and this was pre-COVID. So we couldn't use COVID as the reason why, you know, there was this decline. But, and, and there was this need that, everything needs to be coordinated through the National Control Center, where there were already were clusters and hubs set up for separate, you know, logistics, separate surveillance, separate, um, you know, infection prevention control. So all the, everything that housed the COVID response was in the control center. And, and the mandate certainly for the COVID vaccination set with the state of emergency or the National Control Center at the time. So, um, this was the genesis of COVID fitting into the National Control Center. And, and it, it involved more 
more of our, of the government players than your, your normal routine program was. And I guess the complexity around this was that this was the first truly adult targeted vaccination program where everything that was being done at the department at that time was based on children's vaccination. So obviously the big players, your WHOs, your UNICEFs were still involved, but it was mainly getting parents to carry their children in and get vaccinations, which are up to, you know, you're talking up to two years of age. Um, and, and this was certainly a different kettle of fish where we're targeting adults, we're targeting, targeting you know, in, incoming and outgoing domestic and international travelers. We were involved in, you know, monitoring what's happening across the wharfs. Um, and so, so basically how comprehensive this was is needed to be part of the total response, understanding where the surges were, where the surges were coming from. And all of that was housed at the National Control Center. So it made sense to, at the time, to have the vaccine, uh, you know, program sit at the control center and obviously working hand in hand with the department who provided, you know, the cold chain, who provided the expertise and the, the technical advice. So, you know, there's still that, you know, that, that, that need for that strong connection with the department. Um, but, but having a lens of everything else that was happening around COVID and where we needed to target targeted vaccination, you know, campaigns, this had to sit here at the, that control center. So that was the ideology. Obviously, when we jumped in and found out that, you know, the reasons were so vast as to why the COVID vaccination rates were not where they used to be, or where they, sorry, where we wanted them to be. Um, it was our, our ability to pause and reflect on, you know, what is our opportunity? Are we here to, to play the long game or do we need to, are we looking at, things the wrong way. So I guess we like the general response, we were prepared for a sprint, but we, it was actually a marathon. So, and I think, you know, in terms of the vaccination program, we, we, we adopted a bit of that ideology as well, because what we noticed is that there was such a disconnect between, you know, what we knew in the control center and what was actually realized done at the, you know, if I can call it ground zero. So the shift in thinking, came away from being rapidly rapidly focusing on 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 the the you know incline of numbers and getting people through the door to be vac vaccinated to how do we ensure that this is part of a system that we know is going to take time just to be communicated and just to be trained so that you know when when you know the person at the at the call face which is the healthcare worker to ensure that they actually have all the information at that point to be able to, you know, administer successfully to, you know, our, our rural population. So we shifted really from being something that's ad hoc, that's based just on numbers to actually trying to identify the, the real issues and, and uh, you know, some uh, pro provide some interventions that were fit for pur purpose and culturally appropriate. Yeah, it's there's so many things to follow up in that answer, Api, because, you know, you, you've reflected on the time that was needed to do it in a way that suited the context in PNG, and that's a very varied context across the country. Yet we were in a kind of global race against time on um, the COVID vaccine. Uh, campaign globally. Uh, could you talk a bit more about the disconnect you mentioned 
particularly with respect to healthcare workers and some of the strategies that you have observed or implemented along the way that has improved healthcare worker update, uptake, which I think is quite impressive now in PNG from a low base. How did you tackle the questions and issues amongst healthcare workers in particular? You know, it would have been easy for us to assume, and I, I, I must say, admittedly, coming into this response, that the healthcare workers were, were just automatically going to be our best advocates because this is, uh, this is what they do, this is their day-to-day -day role, and, you know, it, it should be just as easy as giving them the vaccines and allowing them to go out there and, you know, and, and ensure that they can administer. You know, what we fail to realize is that, you know, these healthcare workers are people, and, and they are people who, who require levels of information because they take on that responsibility of being the conduit between us and obviously the general public. Uh, and, 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 you know, it, it was that, that perception that, you know, everything was going to be tanky-dory, if you, you know, so to speak. Just, give, just provide them. So it was, it, it was just going to be a logistical challenge. Well, we, we, we quickly found out that that wasn't the case. And, and, and the hesitance and the apathy that came firstly with the vaccination was from our healthcare workers. And all our surveys will, will, will speak to, to the point that the healthcare workers continue to be the most trusted source of information in our communities. So when the, when the people at the coalface don't believe that the vaccination is appropriate or they don't know enough about the vaccine or they have their own questions that need to be answered first, we said, let's, go back to the basics and let's let's build this program up. So one of the most important interventions for us was creating a fit-for-purpose training of the healthcare workers where they would feel like all of their questions are being answered. They have never felt this level of um, hesitance in their normal day-to-day -day rollout of vaccination programs. Um, and, and this was because they were all of a sudden being asked questions about which factory did this come from? Is this the one that's working in this country and not working in this country? Is this the one that's had adverse effects in this country? Is this the one that's had, is this the vaccine that's had, you know, um, all these different challenges around the world? They've never had to deal with those sorts of questions. And, you know, I've actually been witness to some of the questions coming from the general public. And it's because, you know, you introduce, start to introduce social media and you start to introduce people's access and hunger for information. We've never had that. We've, we've always rested on the laurels that, you know, our people will come forward because, you know, they trust us or because there's no other information at the coalface but the information that we bring. Well, COVID certainly presented a, a new set of challenges, you know, uh, and, and, and we had to go back to basics and focus on our healthcare workers. Now, a lot of people will say that, hey, that, that's not the role of a task force. You're just supposed to come in at a short term, turn around some amazing results and, and walk away. You know, but our mandate was really not just to get the uptake, but to understand why there was no uptake or what, why the demand wasn't there. You know, through different strategies, we we're now sitting at around, you know, half a million doses administered, but that's nowhere uh, close to where we need to be. But but we're obviously, we've got some small victories to talk about. And, you know, when people talk about the PNG's COVID-19 vaccine experience, you know, you could always 
focus and jump on you know what's gone wrong and 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 there are plenty of lessons to be learned not just in Papua New Guinea but around the world but you know I think I'm I'm especially pleased with the, the, the key development partners who've come together to to coordinate and collaborate with the government of PNG you know this is often a normal challenge when we're rolling out programs because there is a culture of you know different partners working in isolation and and obviously you know if the the only thing that this will this will basically um basically uh achieve is a confused population so you know the, the the there were many partners without clear strategy or a strong government leadership coordination uh and and this is what the task force you know basically looked at developing a, a clear strategy that and and providing the government leadership as it needed so you know i'm really pleased to say that you know we are now working and coordinating uh and there's a model and and there's obviously areas of 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 uh, improving that development cooperation we're also reaching out to all partners engaged in vaccination with with sort of regular communication virtual learning and engagement sessions and 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 targeted workshops so 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 to to ensure that we're working in a coordinated effort and informed way really under one key strategy which we call the blueprint and we're seeing that slowly you know um get the results that we need in the PHAs i guess before the response as well PHAs were were, were in some provinces a new concept and so for those who who don't know PHAs are our provincial health authorities so we've there's a model that sits there and talks about a framework that decentralizes health in Papua New Guinea but you know actually seeing seeing it in action is, is a totally different thing because there sits such a still a strong reliance on what happens at Waigani and and driving um you know who's responsible for what who really are the custodians of health so there's some bigger issues and 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 which which created a challenge for for our people and and, and the vaccine rollout uh who's running the program and who is it you know and and i guess from the task force very early on in the piece we established the custodians of health are the public provincial health authorities because they've got the access to the people and we basically need to feed them with all the information so we can work down through their channels and use existing government systems to roll this up because the existing government systems is what our people recognize and what our people trust uh and you know trying to create a parallel system or trying to create a new way of thinking while we're introducing a new vaccine was always going to be you know um you know was always going to be received with you know uh, challenge you talked about celebrating successes and you know in terms of reaching important milestones at what is the coverage in healthcare workers currently is it around 70% in PNG yeah we're looking you know upwards of that the, the last report that i looked at you know we've got a you know a 15000 strong health health uh worker you know sort of the, the numbers that we're looking at and uh you know our, our numbers were looking in upwards of 70% already um you know but we there's so much we could do more and when you say healthcare workers you know we're talking about everybody that works in 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 that health space so um you know we need to take a deeper dive into the actual healthcare workers not just talking about support and ancillary stuff but you know we we're, we're, we're satisfied that we're we're doing 
you know, we started the process uh, and we just need to soldier on and be consistent with what we're doing in that space. And obviously refreshing that learning and having a system where we refresh that learning uh, so, so that we can ensure that they have all the information that they require. You know, to say that we've, you know, the, the, the game is in front of us and we want it, I think that's naive. We've, we've still got a lot more work to go. So what do you think is a, a, a practical future for how we um, continue with COVID vaccination? But as you said, before COVID, routine immunisation was slowing down in PNG. And, you know, we, it's too easy for us to say, you know, on a podcast that, oh, we should just integrate COVID vaccine with routine immunisation. But our systems are set up very differently and the rationale behind the vaccines are very different uh, and speaking as candidly as you feel comfortable in doing I'd be interested in what you think is the best vaccine strategy or strategies in the short term for public health outcomes in PNG. If, if I'm speaking candidly, you know, one of the biggest challenges for us is working in a, in a weak health system. It's underfunded, it's, it's overstretched. And many of the people working on COVID-19 vaccination at the national and subnational levels are the same people who are responsible for routine immunization and other health services. This has been a major problem because we can't do everything well in a weak system. There's an opportunity cost with, you know, with each effort as such that the, the task force has worked to provide our partners with additional resources and support, you know, coordinating, supporting, supplementing when necessary. You know, but there's certainly a, lo a long way to go. We're concerned about obviously the very low rates of routine immunization in PNG and the fact, uh, you know, misunderstandings of COVID-19 vaccination as well as strength, stretched, sorry, health systems due to COVID-19 and, and how that's contributed to even lower rates uh, for our children. So, you know, really understanding the risks of integrating or rushing to integrate, uh, which is which is the easiest thing to do for us to say, let's, let's make sure that we're not running parallel systems. Let's make sure that, you know, we can normalize COVID vaccination as quickly as possible. But, you know, the unintended consequences that can come with that, we really need to understand what they can be. Um, and obviously, a you know, some some every every provincial health authority, you know, there's no one size fits all. We're dealing with with different thinking people. We're dealing with different um, you know challenges in terms of geography and getting vaccination out to people. So, it's really horses for courses in the different provinces in PNG. You know, and 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 I think the only way that we can we can really achieve the results that we want is through partnership and, and through working with you know, um, the people who are already on the ground and who are trusted, you know, there are people not in the COVID space, but for example, working in malaria, working with TB, working in HIV. And we've basically got to find a way that we can piggyback off the, the people there who are reaching those, you know, the, 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 the people who are, who are most disadvantaged in terms of geography and access to health services. We've got to find a way that we can pull all these partners together and say, hey, we need to take COVID out together um, because there's some fantastic success stories in, in TB and HIV and, and, and we need to really piggyback on that with COVID. And, 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 and same to say that in COVID, we've had some success that, you know, the other sort of public health uh, challenges haven't received. And 
and they need to jump on the back of COVID. Um, you know, the fantastic, uh, you know, reach that we've had through the private sector, you know, especially the mining and petroleum sector where, you know, they've they've really embraced the importance of COVID vaccination because they've got obviously the flying flyer people from around the world uh, and, and they need to protect themselves and they protect their business. So we found models where we can use, um, you know, you know, your your Santos of the world or your Newcrest of the world to bring vaccination into the province and assist the PHAs to to roll out to different areas of the uh, of of their, their their province as well. So, you know, some of the the modalities in which we've introduced through lead partner mechanisms and coordinating partner mechanisms, um, I, I think can go a long way into improving where we are with routine immunization. You know, so while while the best case scenario is is integration we need to really think about how we integrate and whether it is the right time to um to to put COVID on onto an already stressed immunization immunization program so um there is a transition plan back into the department but with that transition plan there needs to be the department needs to be ready we need to be ready to hand over and obviously our phas need to understand and take ownership of, of the, you know, the, the challenge going forward. And like I said earlier, provinces are at different levels of their vaccination programs. We have provinces that are, you know, absolute stars in, in, in the way that they're vaccinated and the way that they've communicated the, the COVID messaging. But then we've had, uh, you know, provinces as well who, who almost were reluctant because it was such a challenge, you know. Um, so, you know, we've got different levels of, of, of our program that, that need to be considered before we try to normalise, yeah. Happy, I know that was an impossible question to ask you, but your answer was well worth posing the question. And, I, and I'm just struck by um, your insights and perspectives from coming to this vaccine task force um, months ago, maybe almost a year ago, and your openness to be thinking about how to evolve and be really listening and trying to understand and adjusting to the context in which you found yourself. Um, there's obviously a long way to go, but I just want to thank you for joining us on the podcast today, for sharing some of those hard-won insights around the challenges that you and the team faced and and some of the challenges that you've laid out for the future. So thank you so much for your time today. No problem, Stephanie. And, and thank you very much for paying a keen interest in what's happening in Papua New Guinea and obviously the uh, fantastic support that has come through the Australian government and continues to. So, yeah, thank you. My pleasure to be here. You've been listening to Mr Api Kasman talk about challenges and learnings from the COVID vaccine deployment program in PNG. We hope you enjoyed the conversation. I'm Stephanie Williams, Australia's Ambassador for Regional Health Security. In this third season of Contain This, we'll be bringing you insights, analyses and updates on what is shaping global health and health in our region. Importantly, we remain committed to bringing to this podcast voices of and from the Indo-Pacific region. We look forward to having your company on the next episode. Contain This is produced by the Indo-Pacific Centre for Health Security. You can follow us on Twitter at Centre Health Sec.